in three, two, one. Looking to build a high-performance sales team? Got a product or service to promote? Want to recession-proof your business? If you envision productive new growth for your organization in a challenging marketplace, you're going to enjoy my conversation with Roy D. Medeiros. Well, hi, Roy. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Hi, Michael. Nice to meet you as well. Glad to be here. Now, where are we talking to you from today? I'm based north of Toronto in Newmarket, Ontario. Okay, up in Canada. Canada. Good. Our friends our friends to the north. And uh, well, glad to have you here. Roy, today we're going to focus on building teams. We're going to talk about strategy. We're going to talk about sales plans. We're talking about what it takes to compete in today's marketplace and effective. But before we kind of delve into the meat and potatoes of today's episode, let's talk about your background, how you got to where you are today, because now you're a sales leader, you're a business developer. You've got a varied background working with some of the biggest corporations in North America. Tell us a little bit about that background and how you evolved to get to where you are today. Yeah, it's an interesting journey that I've been on. So a lot of it had to do with, I guess it's kind of corny, I guess, but the movie, one of Jim Carrey, The Yes Man, right? So Good ideally, movie. a lot of opportunities came my way. Didn't know how to do what not, but I said yes to them. And it opened up a lot of doors for me with regards to doing what I'm doing today. And the interesting thing too, is every time the door opened up, I also had a mentor. Someone showed up that would mentor me through the process. So there's the process of saying yes to something I didn't know and trialing it and working through it and finding the answers that I needed to get to, finding the mentor that would help me with regards to any kind of uphills or questions or keeping me motivated. And then the third is going out and finding the education I needed to do it to complete the job and tasks that were ahead. Now you've been busy as a sales leader and you've got all this experience in your career building and directing elite customer-focused sales and account management teams, mm-hmm. everything from market growth, how do we position ourselves, strategies, methodologies, analytics, the whole bit. How have you seen things change? Prior to the pandemic, we used to talk to our clients and say, look, here's how we see the world and here's how we see it evolving maybe five, 10 years from now. We think that's already been accelerated. We think that's here today, pretty much. How have you seen or how has business development, sales development and action plans, how have they evolved post-pandemic? So, yeah, a lot of the changes were already happening in the marketplace, say, even a decade ago, right? The the buyers, regardless if it's a a consumer or a business-to-business development, consumers are becoming a lot more educated. With with the dawn of the internet and everything else, they know pretty much everything they need to know about you, your company, what you're doing and whatnot, right? So that whole development started to change. Now, what also happened too in COVID, that whole relationship and, and being in front of people also changed. So you had to adapt. So not only had to adapt your methods and messaging that you were bringing to the marketplace, but then you had to adapt on how you were selling and building the relationships. The basic sales of features and benefits and things of that nature is long gone. Now it's more of a consultative kind of approach and businesses have to kind of adapt to that, to understand their end users, their customers. What, what are they facing today? What are their current needs? The urgent necessities that they need to help on and you as a company and the sources and the services and the products you have how do you fit that into solving a problem they may have internally for themselves or for the customers that they serve? And it's this adaptation that's actually been going on over the last little while. And it's actually sped up 
over the last couple of years. Yeah, we've seen that acceleration as well. And and to your point, the legacy way we used to sell features and benefits, here's our company and here's why you should buy from us. It's here and why it's kind of evolved to that advisory role. The salesperson of today needs to know about that organization. And the questions now are, hey, you, you should change and here's why or how this is going to impact you, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's basically around that, right? Here's yeah. customer A, they're having some difficulty, their sales have been declining or they're flat. They're not exactly sure what it is. I've got a whole series of tools that are available to me. I go in and do an evaluation to say, okay, if you were to adjust here, here, and here, then we should be able to get an outcome that you're looking for. The same thing if I have a product or service that I'm trying to get in front of a customer, if they have a need for that product or service, you basically tie it into an urgent need, something that will help them kind of elevate themselves to the next level. Sure. I was looking at one of your surveys, and according to that survey, you would say that businesses struggle with sales strategy, sales methodology, sales organization, and sales analysis. And I was really intrigued by the results. For instance, 88% of companies struggle with sales strategy. Let's talk about that and unpack that just a little bit. Now, we're talking about their positioning in the marketplace, who their competitors are, value proposition. Let's unpack that just a little bit. Yeah, depending on the size of business and what they're doing, they sometimes can get diluted. They try to be masters to all things, right? Right. And I, ideally there is to focus on your core abilities, where you want to play. There's five areas where I sit down with customers and then I help them kind of figure things out, right? One, it is what is your winning aspiration? What is it that you want to look like? What does it look like for you if you're winning, right? The next one is where are you going to play? So this is where everybody gets kind of diluted. I want to, I want to be here. I want to be there. I want to be here. Let's focus on an area that you can do really well and where your products and services fit well with those customers and those clients. And then how are we going to win? What is it you need to have in place in order for you to win, to basically gain more clients and more traction in the business you are today to allow your business and your, your systems to grow. And then the next thing is what capabilities must you have? What is it on the people side, on the structure side, your sales leadership team, or your team needs to look like, your leadership team needs to look like, and overall what the structure of the business is. And then the next thing is what management systems you need in place? What is it that's going to drive that whole business and automate things for you so you can get to the next level. It could be a CRM, could be a BRP, could be a series of different types of mechanisms. It could be right. Zoom, we're all on Zoom, putting that all together for your business. There's lots of ways to do this. And I don't know if there's just one right way. There's just some more effective ways than others. So for instance, even when it comes to positioning, you made a point, everybody wants to try and be all things. We always believe that smaller the niche, bigger the market. So to work your verticals and stuff, are verticals still an appropriate way to be attacking the market? Yeah, verticals or channels are appropriate, right? And if you're a small business, you focus on those verticals that you know they can have the biggest impact. And then you build a strategy out for the other verticals that you want to grow into versus tackling everything all at once. It's really important for businesses to basically put together plans. Ideally, a 10-year plan, five-year plan, three-year, and one. If you can't do a 10, at least do a five and a three and a one, because that kind of gives you where you need to be, where you need to go, and how you want to get there. You build those small steps to get to that end goal. How effective are those 10-year plans now? Like in the pre-pandemic, I would say, yeah, I have a 10-year goal, but how often, and have you seen in your experience where those are still valid five years from now, or they have to be adaptive? They have to be evolving constantly. If you're doing it properly, you're adapting pretty much on a yearly basis. You're taking a look at that. And then your 10-year plan is basically a high-level plan. So 
It's very strong and you're looking at things that today would seem impossible, but you're driving towards that goal. It could be a sales goal, it could be a company goal. You're looking at expanding in a certain marketplace, looking at acquiring businesses. So you create that infrastructure and then you build it as you go along. Your one-year plan will probably adjust it almost on a monthly, quarterly basis, depending on performance. Your three-year plan, the same thing with regards to if you're doing everything right, you're having visibility, you make adjustments and you adjust it as well. So if things are going really well, you adjust the plan to make more stretch goals. If it's not going too well, you readjust it and then you go back and reassess to make sure what it is you need to do and then adapt to whatever the market realities are at that time. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. Now, back to my conversation with Roy D. Medeiros. Now, when you're building a strategy against, say, a competitor and you're developing your value proposition, a couple of things that come up, because pricing obviously comes up. Do you want to be the price leader? Do you want to be discount city? Here's what we're going to do and provide. Do you want to be the premium provider? What's your experience there? Does it depend on the type of business that you're going in or the service you're offering of how you should be positioning? Or how would you attack that going into a new market, new vertical, and you're going, hey, who's my competition and how am I going to price this? What approach would I take? Yeah, part of it is comes down to the products and services that you have. How antiquated are you rejuvenating them? Are you going through a marketing plan that you're making changes on a year-to-year basis? And are the products and services adapting to the marketplace today? And if they are and they meet a need, there's really no need to go out and compete against someone whose services and programs and products are antiquated. You can actually command a higher price. The other thing too is the individuals that are working with you for you and helping that customer. If they're highly educated, they understand the business on the other side, is customer focused, and they're sitting there to serve that individual and help them through the process, that value actually helps you command a higher price as well. It's not something you're not to discount. And the other thing is you got to differentiate what makes you unique and special in the marketplace versus your competitor. What programs and initiatives do you have that are different? So how do you differentiate yourself between you and your competitor? Yeah, I think that's always the key is how to do that. In today's world, you've got five generations of buyers, baby boomers, millennials, and so forth. We're only a click away from checking somebody out and getting their pricing. Do you have strategies when it comes to pricing or where we should be in pricing or flexibility with pricing? How do you normally approach it? Yeah. So you take a look at the products or the services or products and you look at the end user. It depends. If it's a commoditized product, then you take a look at the marketplace and see what your competitors are doing. And if you've got some features and benefits, say an iPhone or Samsung, and it's a new phone coming out, it's amazing what people will pay a thousand dollars or more for a phone versus something else. But it's a niche market. There's a certain kind of buyer for that market. The same thing if you're looking at product or services on the B2B side, there's certain things with regards to the products that you have And you have to identify who the buyers are going to be with regards to and what they're willing to pay. If you've got something that's kind of antiquated and you're trying to get something, a price that's not 
in the wheelhouse for a customer that doesn't solve a problem, they're not willing to pay it and you can discount it as much. Or you get into a rat race where you and a competitor have similar products and you're basically discounting all the way down, but you've added no value as an organization. So your customers just basically see, you just commoditize yourself out of the marketplace. Right. Sometimes this question gets asked of us quite a bit is around RFPs and read somewhere, unless you're one of the three C's, the competition who helped create it, the competitor in that sense, the consultant or the committee. If you're not one of those three folks or stakeholders, it's like a train leaving the station and you don't have a ticket. Do you have strategies for dealing with RFPs or how do we approach them in today's world? Yeah. Ideally, you need to be connected ahead of time before an even RFP exists, right? You yeah. get to know the individuals, who the steering committee is going to be. You got to know when the need is going to be coming up and you're pretty much developing that way ahead of time. And sometimes that could be three years or five years, even before the thought of the RFP. And then, then that comes down to relationships. And then again, that comes down to focusing on specific channels that you're in and putting the right people in the right place. Sure. One of the areas that I know you focus on from a consultancy perspective and train on is around strategy. How important is it for us to have a well-defined sales strategy? And I'm talking those components of you know, starting with mission and background. I know you talk about that industry positioning. We've talked about prospecting strategy, for instance, the tools, the software, your action plan, your KPIs, your revenue targets, and your goals. How do those fit into overall strategy? So a lot of it comes down to structure and a repeatable structure, right? A lot of times what companies will do is they're looking for an A player, some girl that comes in, that's going to be the best of what it is. But trying to find those individuals is very, very difficult, can be time consuming, can be costly. And if that person decides to leave after a short period of time, you're basically out of luck. But what you can do is find the right people to fit the seats on a sales team that have the capabilities in the structure. And you can find that by doing psychological assessments and there's assessments out there that you can do with regards to aligning those individuals and the characteristics that you have. Always important to align it with the culture of the organization. So what your vision is and aligning those individuals according to who you are and the culture that you have. That's the one area. Next thing is looking at the skill sets that they have. If you are a business that's just up and going and you're running everything else and you're looking for say on the sales side, because that's where I know is hunters, then you go out and hire a series of hunters to help you out to build and expand quite quickly. If you're an established business and you have someone there and you're looking for someone who's going basically going to help you let their farmers there, basically they're going to cultivate the relationship, keep the relationship going and create those seeds for future and everything else. Then you're looking for a completely, totally different individual. Then the next phase is you create that, let's say in the, on the sales, you create a sales process that's probably 12 steps. There's certain key gates you need to go through on each of the steps. And then when you're having conversations with those individuals, if you haven't met those key steps, it doesn't move forward, which means that that sale is not going to really happen. And if you do that and keep it consistent, then everyone on the team knows exactly what their responsibilities are, what they're accountable for. And if they're doing it right, then we know that we're going to have a repeatable and also positive outcome at the end. Sure. Well, sales organizations, important on your survey, you say that 83% of businesses struggle with sales organizations. So from staffing, hiring, training, roles and responsibilities, has that improved at all in the sales domain? A lot of companies are struggling today just to find good people, particularly on a remote basis, because they just don't want to go back to the office. All right, what are you seeing out there? So things are changing again. So a few months back, you were looking at it. Yeah, people didn't want to have a hybridized kind of environment. They didn't want to go back. There was this thing called quiet quitting. Um, They were only doing their own little thing in the marketplace. And all of a sudden, inflation started coming in. 
we're talking recession. And now if you look in the news, there's a lot of organizations now they're laying off individuals. Yep. And the first individuals are probably going to let go or the ones that are kind of announced that they were quiet quitting. There's a whole tag. It's kind of a push and pull right now in the marketplace between employees and the companies and the marketplace. So there's these dynamics that are going around. But the marketplace and everything else, even with that, it's changed completely. We're having this conversation on Zoom. A lot of businesses today and some of the businesses I'm working with today, this is how they, they want to interact with, which now allows you to basically interact anywhere in the world, at home, on office, even on the beach, not down south if you needed to. And that's kind of an exaggeration, but you have that capability of being able to do that, right? Oh, I've talked so, to salespeople. I've talked to salespeople. He was from London and he's working in Spain. For a couple of weeks this fall, I was working out of Europe and I actually enjoyed it because of the time zones. So I was doing emails at 9, 30, 10 at night and it was one in the afternoon and getting things done, but I was enjoying my day, finishing up some emails or phone calls. So in today's world, I think that's a good thing because now you can have a remote sales force. It's a great thing. And you know what? The other thing too, the companies need to realize you've got already resource internally. If you're doing things correctly and you're looking at your teams and you're developing your teams and you know where you're going, that's why it's important to have that 10-year plan. You have this whole system already set up and you know where your gates are going to be. You can start developing and training the staff that you have today to meet those needs of the future as opposed to recruiting. If you can't and they don't fit in that particular seat, yes, you have to go out and recruit them. But when you recruit, like we talked about your mission and vision and everything else, you need to know what your culture is and what is it you're doing as a business so that you hire the, the correct talent that kind of meets your culture, right? It's very difficult and it's very costly too to hire someone. You kind of gave them a really nice job description. You gave them all these bells and whistles and then they come in and they find out they don't fit right. into that organization. Right. And there's a lot more of that today with your millennials and your Gen Zs and everything else. They see the world completely different than say the baby boomers or the Gen Xs, right? Which were a little more kind of, they had a job, they were more fixed on what they were doing. This new generation changes quite quickly. When we were talking about culture, we had an episode recently on diversity, equity, and inclusion. What have you seen going into companies helping them build these teams? Where's diversity and equity and inclusion coming into it? Are you seeing it into the sales force? I'm seeing it in some of the companies that I was working for, not the last one, but the previous one was big on that. So we had people from all over the world as part of our team. And I did the same thing. When I hired the teams, I tried to make sure that there was a lot of diversity within the teams between male, female, ethnicities, right. talents, and everything else, just because it adds a lot more depth to the organization and adds a lot more depth to the team that's part of it. The key thing too is there's a psychological aspect to all of this as well. Part of it too is the environments that you're working in with the cultural side has to be, I guess, in the new term is psychologically safe, right? They have to be safe for them to be able to come forward and have a conversation right. with you about what's going on. Some cultures, they're not aggressive or they're not coming forward. They're kind of quiet. They're introverted. doesn't mean that they don't have the skill set, but as a leader, you need to be able to see and understand the different cultural differences and be able to pull out that talent from them and coach them and lead them to the next level. And if leaders are able to do that, it's amazing the potential that's out there. Because there's a lot of people that have leadership qualities and capabilities. They just haven't been tapped into or they haven't been developed because they're quiet or they see things in a different way that the leader doesn't kind of align to. So that cultural alignment you're looking for, it doesn't matter about their color, their race or ethnicity. It's more of where they are business-wise, their alignment on growth, their alignment on overall strategy, their alignment on overall positioning. So it's the sales culture, the business development culture. Yeah, I guess it's the business culture, right? Yeah. Your mission and vision would probably tell you who you are, what your Makes values sense. are uh, with regards to your business, right? And who your end client is. 
and whatnot. And then you want a person, let's just say your business is a serving attitude. Then you want to go out and hire people that are serving, that are team builders, not someone who's basically an individual that just focuses on themselves, their development versus someone else's. So you're basically trying to find people that are like that. And if you do that, it doesn't matter our own race or sex or anything like that. It's just that they're thinking very similar to the way you're thinking. And it you're able to do that. There's a lot of assessments out there that'll allow you to, to see how they're thinking. And then what that does too for the individual that comes onto your company is that they're looking for purpose or they're looking for a certain kind of thing in, in their life that makes them feel fulfilled. Then it aligns, then you have something that generates growth for that individual as well in your organization. Sure. Now, when you're talking about sales strategy and sales methodologies, it was actually surprising to see some of the numbers where, for instance, only 22% of companies have a documented sales process where it's actually documented. Is that something you see regularly where they just have failed to document? Yeah, I see it more in the small to medium-sized businesses. And even the last one I was working with too, didn't have anything documented, right? right? It's important to be able to document that so you know which direction you're going. And it also allows you to communicate to your teams what exactly it is that you're doing, where you're going, and how you want to do it, right? It's basically your roadmap. It's like you're, sure. uh, if you're going on vacation, going to point A, point B, where is it you're going to go? What roads are you going to take and everything else? Like it allows you to do that. Yeah, we call it the playbook. Develop your own playbook, different plays for different scenarios. Now, one of the fundamental ingredients of a good strategy and methodology is some way to control or measure and monitor all of that, which leads us to CRMs. And again, another stat, you say that only 41% of companies have a CRM and that's improved a little bit since COVID. They've had to do some things there. So I think we're up to 59% now. How do you see CRM really as the backbone of organizations as far as managing and measuring or where's that evolving? Are you seeing any new changes that a company should be paying attention to when it comes to their customer relationship management systems or platforms? Yeah. So high-performing Teams, high-performing organizations have some sort of a CRM in the background, right? right. But it's a part of a whole system. So you've got your rearview mirror, which is basically your finance side right. of the business. So you need to have that a whole acumen, business acumen all complete, right? So right. you need to have your monthly reviews. You need to have your quarterly reviews. So you know where you're coming from, where the gaps are. Your CRM provides you your forward, your windshield. It allows you to see what's going on ahead of you. It allows you to plan and predict what could happen. And the CRM... If you do it properly, it doesn't have to be something that's time consuming, something that is just basically task oriented, but it pretty much can involve all parts of the business. It can involve operations, can involve logistics, procurement. If you've got a service team on the service side, and then with regards to the forecasting the business as well, because you can see trends already in place. You can measure that this quarter, the following quarter, you can go out five years if you wanted to do that. And it can tell you what products are being pulled in, what products are starting to dwindle out. You can start seeing what it's going to look like over the next six months with regards to what products are going to be focused on. And you can start promoting that or providing that information further down the pipeline to your manufacturing plant. So they know that all of a sudden we're pivoting from this type of product, this part of product over the next little while. I should get my staff ready, trained. If I need to get trained, I should get the parts and everything else in place because we're starting to see this thing up front. Right. But that also... That only happens when there's a trust and then there's the ability to basically forecast accuracy. And this is where we just talked recently about the sales process, going through those gates. And if you meet those things, then you know the end result is going to be accurate. And then you pull all those teams together, say on a weekly basis on a Monday for an hour and a half, you go through it 
and everyone kind of is aligned and then they go out and they're aware of what's coming down. So that kind of helps the accelerate or gain traction within the organization. Sure. And an area that I know I've not been very thorough on is when it comes to forecasting. I've always worked on the process and then not really worried about the results part of the equation, but I believe an area or shortcomings are, hey, how realistic is it to set goals, sales and revenue targets? How often do people actually hit those goals? And then creating our budgets around that. And then how important is forecasting? Because you get the sandbaggers or get people who blue sky things. What have you seen around the forecasting and its accuracy, its effectiveness, I guess, is where we're going with that. I've seen pretty much everything from, like I said, sandbagging to front loading the pipeline and whatnot and looking at deals. They say, what's going to happen this week? It's going to happen next week. It's going to happen the week after that. It never happens, right? Right. So ideally, you want to have a, a kind of a frank conversation with your group and then basically state kind of the line where you're at. A lot of it too comes down to trust, the trust between sales organization and the directors and the leadership. They want to make sure that what they're putting into the system is not going to be overstated or going to be pulled upon quite quickly without having a chance to develop. So you build that trust, you build that sales process. And then what you do there is you only forecast the items that you have conversations with the individuals that you know you're going to have. And you build that. And ideally, you want to be able to build a conversation back and forth on your one-to-ones and that trust, but also to build that kind of rapport with regards to where that lead is, where that prospect is with regards to the whole development. And if they can't answer certain questions, you know not the forecast that you pull back and there to do the next week is to basically shore up what's going on and get more answers for you so that you know once you put it on the dashboard and senior management's going to look at it, it's something that's been highly developed, it's qualified, and we have a very good chance that it's going to happen within the quarter or in the month. Now, things always change. Things happen right. on the customer side, right? So the money didn't show up, something didn't get signed off, someone went on vacation, so it may move from one month to another. But ideally, that's something we can have a conversation around, <clears throat> ideally, but it still happens. What you don't want is to create something where someone create a fictitious uh, right. opportunity <laughs> right. and it never really happens. But you've already told your senior management, and if you're reporting into senior management uh, on top of that to the US or Europe, then that causes a lot of friction because then they're thinking, okay, these guys don't really know what their business is, right? So right. try to avoid that. Well, and once we know the numbers, you look at the numbers, if you know you're always closing about 60%, I don't care if they really blue sky it. I just know their closing ratios at 60%. That's what I'm going to count on and focus on. And every business is a little different. You talk about aligning your sales process with the buyer's journey. And that's obviously going to change. And a lot of companies really haven't documented their sales processes or adjusted it to fit their internal processes or what the desired buyer's journey is. How do you approach it that way? How do we find out what that journey is all about? So ideally what I've done in the past too, is I've created an advisory group, right? I bring customers in annually every 12 months or 24 months and have them sat down. We had a whole series of questions in place. And these were either, there were key accounts, there were accounts that really loved us as organization accounts were kind of neutral that right. we've done some business, but not a lot. And then we try to pull in accounts that haven't done any business with us that didn't like us or with the competitor. So we can get a, a well-rounded kind of conversation. And usually it was around no more than 12 individuals. We sat down and we had conversations, scripted conversations with regards to what was happening in the marketplace, what was happening within them, what are some of their key challenges that are occurring today or what their next five years, what are they being challenged on and I guess compensated on if they're compensated on and whatnot so that, that we can build the programs align that. And in that same conversation, we were talking about any kind of market research or anything that we were doing that's new, we're developing to bring into the marketplace to see if there's any alignment 
with them and what we're trying to do. And if it's a product or a service, something of that nature. Sure. Are you seeing salary plus performance when it comes to compensation with sales professionals today? So when we're hiring, is there something that's trending? Like there are some businesses where it's performance only, but they get paid a commission basically. There's somewhere it's salary only and then salary plus and both. What are you saying? Is there any trends out there that we should be paying attention there's to? A, there's a combination of a lot of that. There's a combination of base salary, so base commission, and then bonuses. There's high bases, low bases, more commission, all commission. So there's a combination of pretty much everything that's in play and then bonuses on top of that and special programs that are available. The ones that seem to do well is usually a 50-50 split between the base salary and the commission base. Oh, 50-50. Okay, that's interesting Uh to know. Sure. They want something to keep the wolf away from the door and cover the basics. But if there's any time delays or whatever, or longer sales cycles, it, it can get them through those storms, right? Correct. There's a little bit of a balance there. And the other thing too is basing it around realistic, where that particular salesperson is in the industry and what are they being paid. So with everyone working remotely and then we're aligning our processes up, we're communicating, social media becomes a big part of what we do and has really evolved in the sales processes. Not all social media platforms are ideal for all selling situations. Are there some that are must-dos? For instance, we like LinkedIn because it's focused on B2B. Demographically, you've got what age 21 to 65, basically, and they're actively working or searching for jobs. So it's easy to find those people. There are some that just work better than others, and there's others that we should be avoiding, or is it really driven by who our market is? Yeah, it depends on the market and the market space, right? If you're looking at the younger generation, I guess Instagram, TikTok, and all those areas. If you're looking at the older generation, probably Facebook. If you're looking at more on the business side, senior level executives or anything else, LinkedIn seems to be the place. Then it's a combination of that LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and whatever else that's available to the marketplace. Now, there's also changes that are occurring. Some companies are not really, because it's time consuming, activating it or pursuing it as much as they should. And again, it comes down to understanding who you are, what your marketplace and who your client is and what they're looking for. Then you basically focus on that. Then you know what platforms to kind of focus on as opposed to kind of spraying it all out. Do you recommend that sales professionals create content or relevant content for their profile audience? They can. There's this whole sticky component with regards to the organization you work with. Some organizations want their content to be promoted. Another organizations are okay with it. And I would basically recommend the individual who's thinking of building it to have a conversation with their group, whether or not they would accept something like that. Okay. Well, there's so much for us to do. And as business owners and entrepreneurs and organizations, we've got the strategy, we've got the planning, there's checklists, there's the CRM, there's just lots of different avenues. And all of these challenges have led you to where you are today. And you've created a business with Fulcrum, a management group, where you address those issues. Let's talk about how you guys do what you do and where the magic is for you. Yeah, predominantly we're working with small to medium-sized businesses. Businesses are about $5 million to $50 million. And these are businesses that are basically competing against some of the bigger organizations that are in the marketplace. But because they're small and the revenue, they're having a, a difficult time in hiring individuals that are at the caliber where a large organization or corporation can hire. They don't have the funds to be able to do that. Right. So ideally, here's what fulcrum management does is allow them to basically on a fractionated basis to hire someone who's got that skill set to develop all the tools and 
structure necessary for them to give them an equal foot in competing against their competitors, the larger competitors. So you provide a fractional, almost like the fractional CFOs. Those are very, very popular and, and in companies. Marketing. Yeah, and marketing too. Marketing officers, you're not having to pay full-time. Sort of what we do even as consultants. We're hired guns, but you're doing it more and more strategic purpose. You actually do the work. Your organizational organization will actually go in and take it from planning pages to execution. Is that correct? Correct. So we'll create the structure. We'll do the planning. We call the consultative service up front. We'll put the structure in place and we'll execute the structure. Now, the execution of the structure can mean a few things. It could mean we train someone that they have that's the high candidate for the position. We'll train them and mentor them and coach them through the process. And it can take a series of times, let's say 16 weeks as an example. Another time is they don't have anyone internally, but they have someone potentially. They may hire us on board for, say, six months, a year, year and a half to develop everything and get them moving and get them started. And then at that point in time, either develop someone internally or we'll go outside and recruit someone to to fill that position from full time because we are on a fractionated basis. Sure. Is there a priorities that they should be looking for our company? So if a company is looking at itself now and going, hey, we need some help on here, we'll have all your contact info in the show notes, but I believe you offer complimentary assessments and you just have conversations with folks to see if it's a fit or if there's some services that you're able to provide as an organization. But are there priorities that we should be focused on going forward here post-pandemic and with recession coming up that these are the two or three must-do things to be successful? Here's what we should focus on. Yeah, I'd say their whole system, right? Being able to know where they're at, where they're going, and how they're going to get there is really, really important. Those three key areas that they need to take a look at. Their business structure, leadership accountability, right? And what they're doing. The next one is the process and business alignment, how all the processes in place and how all the teams work together. And then it's the people, having the right people in the right places and making sure that you know who they are, the skill sets that they have and how they complement the organization you're in. And then that's something that can be done on an ongoing basis. It doesn't have to be done all at once. You build your traction from there. Now it's just basically your gaps, right? Some right. organizations during COVID did exceptionally well. Some had record sales. So right, right. now for them, they're not seeing any kind of pain points where others saw the pain points. They didn't pivot. They didn't have all those relationships built in place. They didn't have the sales strategies in place and then have the visibility to see what was going on in the background. They didn't have the visibility forward to know that things were kind of shifting so they could have pivoted to move into an, another direction. So it's key to get all that whole, we talked about the business acumen, the financial side done, the CRM side done, and start building that whole kind of conversation internally is this is where we are. These are where the gaps are. This is where we're going. Does it fill the gaps in what we need to do to make sure that everything's kind of leveled out? It'll give you kind of um, an overview of what's happening within the business. It allows you to pivot. Sure. Now, besides providing, obviously, strategy, tactics, go-to-markets, plans, and then execution, companies can also engage with you to validate their existing plans or strategies as well. So you can look for the holes and at least validate or offer suggestions where it goes. Well, Roy, this was really interesting. And I know people can go to your website. Again, we'll have all the contact information. You've got lots of good information that people have access to. There's lots of challenges. I think it's fair to say the tools and the strategies and the tactics we use to get us where we are today aren't going to be the same ones that we can use to grow tomorrow. And I know you stay ahead of that curve. Where do you see things moving in the next, say, three to five years overall from a big picture point? Yeah, I think businesses are going to adapt to the new normal. I guess that's the 
term that's being used out there with regards to the hybrid work. And we're also seeing a huge influx of more small businesses being created. 50% of the businesses today versus large corporations, it's a 50-50 split. And we're seeing that increase because people are starting to see that they can start doing their own home businesses and do their own things. So there's been a pivot towards that. Now, whether that's going to continue on or not, but it's showing progress that a lot of people want to start doing their own things and working with their own time and developing themselves versus working for a larger organization. So then larger organizations are going to have a harder time to recruiting. So they're going to have to figure something out as well on their end. So there's a couple of dynamics happening. What can I do as a sales professional or someone within an organization that's supporting people within the organization? What can I do to best prepare myself to be able to grow and have opportunities moving forward? I guess part of it is knowing where you fit, what's happening around you. That's one. Next one is education, educating yourself, giving yourself the tools you need to get you to that next level. As things are moving, you're also educating yourself and you're moving in that direction. And then business coaches and also mentors are great. So if there's something you want to get into, so you want to evolve yourself as an individual or you want to stretch yourself as an individual, great thing is to get yourself someone who's going to hold you accountable to what you're doing and also someone who's been there that can coach you through the whole process as well. So great tools. And that's what I use my whole life too, has been mentors. And I have never really used a business advisor, but I'm looking at that too. Absolutely works. Well, Roy, thank you. This was a pleasure. Thanks for sharing some time and some strategies and some insights. I think our listeners will get some real value out of that. And again, we'll have all your contact info. They can get hold of you. And if you want some good ideas on strategy, go to market plans, compensation plan. There's a full menu of services that Fulcrum Management Group provide. And we encourage listeners if they need some help or assistance to get hold of you. So Roy, thanks for being our guest today. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.